Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that we can be a people who are defined by what you've done for us, Lord. God, I pray that you would just change us. God, that you would move in our hearts this morning as we hear your word spoken to us. God, have your way in this place. God, do what you want to do here, Lord. We love you so much. God, we just thank you for this time together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Philip. Thank you, the band. I actually asked Philip if he would do that song uh, before we heard the message this morning because I wanted to get pumped up. I wanted to get excited about who God is, what he is doing. And uh, uh, this morning, uh, I sit over here, usually where Pastor Lee sits, I usually like to sit with the kids, but uh, I like to move around and I like to uh, hear the congregation sing. And I, I got to tell you, Jamie, your husband, Chad, has a beautiful singing voice. So I just, I'll leave it at that. No, I'm teasing. But anyways, but I, I really enjoyed moving around, getting to hear other people sing. So that's really neat hearing God's people do it. As always, I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Lee. As you know, he's in Cambodia right now, him and Susan as well with uh, Steve and, and uh, Kevin. Uh, be praying for them as they do this pastor's conference. I, I was told that Susan's going to be speaking to the pastor's wives so that's an exciting thing to hear. Uh, so be praying for them. But a big thank you to Pastor Lee for allowing me uh, to be up here this morning. Well, this morning I believe that what we're about to read from God's Word, we're, what we're about to hear is a very humbling message, a very sobering message. And although it might be a very humbling message, a very sobering message, as I said, I also believe that it's going to be a very encouraging message. And I'm really praying that as we see God's Word, as we read God's Word today, that we look at ourselves and we see our sin, we are convicted of it, and that we just repent, that we turn from our ways, we turn back to God, and that our faith is put back into action. And let me kind of share a story uh, with you about kind of what I mean about seeing ourselves and humbling ourselves and then putting our faith back into action. When I was a junior at Azel High School, go Hornets. I'm not scared, all right, all right, I'm not scared. I know it's Bearcat country, I know, but, uh, but I was a junior at Azel High School. I played basketball, and basketball was my sport. That's the sport I was best at, and I wasn't the greatest player on the team, uh, but my, my style of play, I was a very rough player, very rugged player. I, I'm very dirty. I, I've elbowed people before. I've hit people before. I've kneed them before. Matter of fact, I even tickled a dude before. That's strange, I know, but uh, hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to win. Well, uh, one of the things that I always enjoyed, and I was actually talking, I think it was uh, uh, Mr. Eaton earlier. Yeah, I was talking to him earlier about how I always like to play against the bigger boys, people that are taller, people that are bigger than me, people that are stronger. That's just where I thrive, and I just really enjoy that. And we were playing a game up in Gainesville at this time, and Gainesville's a little bit north of Denton, I believe, and I was going up against a big boy. Guy was good two, three inches taller than me. He probably had a good 30 pounds on me, and I'm guarding this guy. Well, my team, we were on offense, and one of my uh, teammates threw a bad pass, and it got stolen, and I see my guy taking off to the, to the other end of the court. So I start running after him. Well, I look back, and his teammate throws him the ball, and it was, it was, it was pretty high, but it was about the right height where I could jump up and steal it back. Well, as I jump up and I get my hand on the ball, homeboy behind me literally jumps, grabs the ball out of my hand, and dunks it in midair. He dunks it on me, and I mean, he knocked me to the ground. I slid against the wall. I hit the wall. It hurt, and the home crowd goes nuts. 
absolutely nuts. People get out of their seats, all the students are there, and they get out of their seats, and they're pointing at me, and I'm just laying there in the fetal position. I mean, it was embarrassing. And they're pointing at me, laughing at me, hooting and hollering. I mean, they enjoyed that. And I will tell you, it was very, very humbling. And they even called a foul on me, stinking refs. But he goes and he makes his free throw. Well, our coach calls timeout. And as we're walking, I've got my head down and everything. I'm running over there to the bench with my head down. And the coach goes, Morris, why don't you go sit on the end of the bench? I was like, oh, man, now I don't get to play the rest of the game. And I thought my coach was so disappointed in me. So I go sit at the end of the bench. And he put in a sub for me. And he comes down to me as we start to play again. He comes down to me. He gets on his knee, and he goes, hey, look at me in the eye real quick. And I look up, and I'm looking him in the eye. He goes, it's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? And I was like, yes, sir, it's embarrassing. He's like, it's pretty humbling, isn't it? I was like, yes, sir, it's pretty humbling. He goes, hey, listen to me. It's just two points. It's just two points. I will tell you that was some of the best advice that I had ever been given, that it was just two points, even though it was embarrassing. I mean, I got made fun of that day. It hurt, but guess what? It was just two points. And when he said that, it was like a light switch that came on, and I got excited again, and he put me back in the game. Now, I would love to tell you that I went and dunked it on this dude, and I embarrassed him. I did not, but I will tell you this. That dude did not score a point the rest of the game because I ate his lunch he was not going to stop us, and we ended up winning the game by about 20 points. It was embarrassing, but it was just two points. Think about our lives. We do get knocked down quite a bit, maybe even this week, but we can still get back up. I want you to think about God and His grace. We sin every single day. We choose ourselves over God all the time, but yet He still extends forgiveness. In our own power, in our own ability, we are lost, we are a hot mess, but through his power, we are saved, we are made new. And though our sorrow may last for the night, the Bible says that his joy comes in the morning, and that is our God. And today, we're going to see some very, and I mean very challenging words from Jesus himself. And I'm praying that God will be exalted and that we will be changed through this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and Lord, I tell you that we are thankful for you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this time of worship that we've had. Lord, I pray that you have been exalted, God, that we have magnified you together. And I pray, God, as we hear your word, as we see your word today, God, just that, that, that we would see our sin, and God, that we would repent of our ways. God, that we would realize that we need you and nothing else. God, I just pray for lives today, Lord, that uh, as we are challenged, Lord, that we would leave here differently than, than by, before the way we came in. And Lord, I just ask that you would be our guide, that you would be the person that leads us this morning. Thank you again for loving us. Thank you again for this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 9. And I'll give you a moment to get there. Luke chapter 9. And in this chapter, there's a lot of amazing things that are happening. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus and the 12 disciples, they feed the 5,000. Then Peter, later on, Peter makes his declaration about Jesus, that he is the Christ sent from God. Jesus then tells of his death, predicts of his death, tells his disciples. And later on, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto the mountainside, and they begin to pray, and they encounter Moses and Elijah. After that, Jesus heals the boy that was demon-possessed. 
Then Jesus talks to his disciples about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, and it turns out it's the least of these. And it seems that things are going great. Jesus' ministry is gaining momentum. He's gaining popularity. Jesus is drawing people in. But I want to let you know that sometimes today that Christianity, it can look good. Heck, it's even preached by some of these famous TV preachers that following Jesus means blessings upon blessings with this fixation upon health and wealth, good fortune, prosperity. But yet at the end of this chapter, Jesus drops a bombshell and Jesus humbles us and he says, this is what it cost. This is what it looks like if you're going to follow after me. Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning as I, uh, as I read these scriptures, as we hear them, I don't take these things lightly. But if we truly believe this, if we truly believe what we're about to read, this is absolutely radical. This is absolutely insane for someone to believe this. There is a cost, and I say that again, there is a cost when it comes to following Jesus. So as I said, we're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 57. So Luke 9, 57. And out of the reverence of reading God's word, I'd like to ask if we would stand this morning so we hear what God has to say. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. This is Jesus and some of his people. Listen to what it says here. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied that foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. When I was a little kid, my family and I, we lived in a small East Texas town, Jefferson, Texas. My dad was one of the pastors at the First Baptist Church there. And I had a friend at school, believe it or not, I had friends, okay? Um, but I had a friend at school, his name was Brian Burke. Brian's dad was also a pastor, he was a pastor of a small country church outside of that town there. And his dad and my dad were actually friends, they were actually pastor buddies. Well, as I said, Brian and I, we were good friends, we were buddies, we did everything together. We played sports together, we'd go down to the creek by the elementary school there in Jefferson, we would catch tadpoles together. Uh, I mean, he was my buddy, we did almost everything together. But one day, the unthinkable happened. He came up to me at school, and he told me that he had to move to another school. And I was 10 years old, and if you remember those days, that's a devastating time when your best friend has to leave, when, there's, when your best friend has to move. And I remember he said, my family, we're going to the mission field. Interesting. Very cool. Back then, I really didn't know exactly what that meant. I've heard it at church a hundred times, but I really didn't know what that meant. Turns out they were moving to Kathmandu, Nepal. And as a kid, being in East Texas, I was like, oh, that's probably over by Longview or something. But uh, obviously it wasn't. But like I said, I was heartbroken. I remember telling him, I was like, hey, you can live with me and my family. I've got a bunk bed. You can come stay in my room while your family's in Nepal. You can go visit them anytime you want to. 
They're in the Himalayas, but very rational thinking, obviously. But I remember being 10 years old and seeing this family literally drop everything that they knew and that they owned, sacrificing their own comfort for the sake of the gospel. I still remember, that's 25 years ago, and I still remember that to this very day. Brian's parents are still there in Nepal, and they're sharing the, the gospel of the Nepalese people there. Uh, Brian, as any good Baptist preacher's kid would do, moved back to the States and went to a Baptist college to get his degree. That's just what we do. But I remember seeing this as a kid and the impact that it left on me. I tell you this story because the point is, I, I want to ask you, are we actually willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of following Jesus? Do we consider it pure joy when we lose for the sake of Christ? The Apostle Paul was very clear about this when he says in Philippians 3, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of even knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Is this our attitude as Christians today? Is this what people see? Do we consider it gain when we lose? Do we consider it loss when we gain? Are we willing to actually deny ourselves to make much of Jesus? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. But in this little short passage here, these six short verses, we see again that there is a cost when it comes to following Jesus. And in this, I believe that there are three questions for us. First question, are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? Are we going to choose comfort or are we going to choose the cross? Verses 57 and 58 again. says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied that foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his own head. According to some of these other gospel accounts, these men here, they were possibly teachers of the law. And at this time, it was very customary for men like this to attach themselves to religious, spiritual leaders. So here's Jesus. Yes, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this guy. And this man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. He's eager. He's willing. And Jesus says to him that the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. And in this way, Jesus is telling these men, Jesus is even telling us that Christianity does not lead to more comfort, a better status, or even a greater ease. A few months ago, I saw on social media, saw this guy down in Houston, calls himself a preacher, I guess. Um, he says, and I quote, when you look good, when you dress good, and you live in a nice place, and you excel in your career, and you're generous with others, that is what brings a smile to God's face because it brings him pleasure to prosper you. What a poor perception of God. What a poor perception of God. Jesus says here, I don't even have a place to sleep. Are you still willing to follow after me? 
Are you going to choose comfort or are you going to choose the cross? Now listen, just like anyone else, I love a good night's sleep. But Jesus is not calling us to comfort here. Consider the next chapter when Jesus says that I am sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. Don't take money, nor a bag, not even a pair of sandals. Jesus isn't calling us to comfort. He is calling us to need him. That's why Jesus calls you, is so you can have a need for him. Not a need for things, not a need for popularity, a need for Jesus alone. Like a lamb amongst wolves. That is not a call to comfort. Jesus even warns us about too much comfort. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, Beware, guard yourselves against every kind of greed. For life is not measured by how much you own. But I also want you to see this. The road that Jesus walks is not paved with self-advancement. Earlier in the same chapter, in verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, If any man would choose to follow after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. For anyone who tries to hang on to his life will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake you will save it. Clearly, denying yourself and choosing the cross is a requirement to following Jesus. Second question, are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for mission? Let me, let me say it again. Are we going to settle for maintenance or are we going to sacrifice for mission? If you'll go back to verses 59 and 60. Jesus said to another person, come, Follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of scholars debate on this. A lot of biblical scholars have a debate on this. That Some believe that uh, this man's dad had just died. Some had believed uh, that he was going to die maybe the next day or so. Some believe that he had a little bit of time left. And so uh, the son wanted to go spend just that time that he had left with his dad. Uh, so this guy, he wants to go back and spend time with his father, give him a proper burial, uh, which is something he wants to do, something he needs to do. Uh, to not bury his father would be to shame his father. I'll never forget that morning. It was a little before 6 a.m. on a Friday. It was October 28, 2016. I had just woken up, and I was actually coming up here to the church to meet Pastor Sean, Pastor Andy Bob, uh, Brandy Little, and Connie Hayden. We were supposed to go to a Sunday school conference uh, workshop that morning. And I was actually coming up here. And during this time... My dad had been in the hospital for a little over five weeks. Uh, we had witnessed him pass out in the driveway there at his house in Hazel. Had Ashley call the, uh, call the ambulance, 911. And for the rest of his life, the last five weeks of his life, he spent that time in the hospital. His health was declining. Each day was slowly getting worse. And about five minutes before 6 a.m., my mom called. And as soon as I saw her name on, the, on, the, on my phone, I knew exactly what that call was going to be about. And on the other line, my mom said, Nathan, your dad is now with Jesus. And I just remember the raw emotions, the thoughts running through my head, trying to remember the last conversations that I had with my dad. But then I see these scriptures here. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, doesn't that seem a bit brash? Maybe somewhat bold? 
And what, what does this mean? And then Jesus says that you are to go and to preach about Christ. Clearly, when you follow Christ, there is an urgency to kingdom proclamation, an urgency to share Christ. Something that you would most want and need to do in life, something even greater, more important than that. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here in this first century, Jesus expresses the urgency, which I would even say we have more now, even the 21st century. There's an urgency when it comes to kingdom proclamation. A few years back, I've I had the opportunity to do BSM ministry, and I know I've shared that with you before. If you're not familiar with that, it's Baptist student ministry, uh, collegiate ministries, get to work with college students. And when I was at Vernon College doing this, uh, we had the opportunity to meet several, several people from different parts of the world. We, we had uh, students from Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, from Mexico, from Canada. Uh, had a young girl from South Korea. Uh, matter of fact, there's even girls from Alito. They're all over the place. And so uh, we got to meet all these students from all, from all over the place. There's a young man named Hayden Jaco, and he was from Vancouver, Canada. And he came to our BSM one night, and that's exciting to tell you because our, our high school students will be going up to Vancouver, Canada this summer to do mission work, and that's an exciting thing. But this young man was from Vancouver, Canada. And that night that he came, it was our opening night for the semester, and we had fed about 80 college students. And we got these college students connected with some of the people there and the community of people that I knew kind of to help these students out with physical needs, emotional needs, uh, trying to help these college students that weren't from there to feel welcome in this new com community and supported by the new community. Well, that night I shared the gospel with about 80 college students, I said. This young man, Hayden, comes up to me afterwards, and he prays and he puts his faith in Jesus, an amazing thing. But I'll never forget what he said to me right after he did that. He looked at me and he said, I have never heard this before. Never heard this. Now, here's a guy really not that far away, to be honest. And if you drive four hours south from Vancouver, there's Seattle, Washington, where there's a church on almost every street corner. Yet four hours north, here's a young man who had never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about in Nehemiah 13 where it says that there were generations that literally missed the face of God. Listen, we have the greatest thing ever within us, the gospel. We've got it. Yet there's people out there who are missing God. We have family members missing God. We have co-workers missing God. We have fellow students that are missing God, close friends that are missing God who are dying without hearing the gospel. This is not right. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, yet the laborers are few. How can this be? What is it going to take for us to take this gospel serious? I mean, what are we missing? I know that it is God's will that all people should be saved, as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. So wouldn't it make sense as we are bearers of the good news, we are carriers of the gospel, and that God desires the salvation for all people? Wouldn't it make sense that the majority of us would get off our bottoms and start sharing the good news? Why is it that only a select few are doing this? Why is it that only a select few go on missions? Honestly, we should have lines of people out this door that says, I'm going to take the gospel to my home. I'm going to take the gospel to my place of work. I'm going to take the gospel to Alito High School, to Alito Middle School, to McAnally, to McCall, to Walsh, to Stewart, you name it. 
We should have lines of people that say, I'm going to go to Cambodia. I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to go to Canada. I'm going to share the gospel. Matter of fact, we should even have people willing enough, if this is really worth their lives, saying, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and share the gospel. Are we going to settle for maintenance? Or are we just going to settle into life as business as usual? All the while, never really realizing an unreached world around us and near us. And maybe we do realize it, but yet we're just apathetic. I know that it's God's purpose for all of us to share the gospel. Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every man. Psalm 96, 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations. Tell of his wondrous acts to all the people. I know that we are to share the gospel. We've got to decide Is this mission really worth our lives? The third question here. Will our lives be marked by indecisive minds or undivided hearts? If you go back to verse 61 and 62 here. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Interestingly here, each of these guys implies conditions and stipulations when it comes to following Christ. This story, this account here, is a very clear example that we cannot follow Christ on our own terms. I once said to a person that I hadn't seen at church in a while, I hadn't seen at Bible study in a while, Said to this guy, it's like, man, I miss you. The people here miss you. We need to have you with us. You're part of our community. We want you to grow in the Lord. We want to grow in the Lord with you. And the guy told me, he goes, yeah, I've been kind of busy lately. Let me rearrange some stuff to see if I can get back to it. Listen, we cannot follow Jesus on our own terms. He has to have all of our heart, more than anyone or anything else, undivided hearts. Jesus says in Luke 14, 26, if you really follow me, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, this is not Jesus saying that, yes, you are allowed to go out and hate. You're allowed to disobey your parents. You're allowed to leave your wife or your husband. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that our love for him has to be so great that all other things in this life seem as hate in comparison. Do we really love Jesus that much? Do people notice that about us? But here's the issue when it comes to all this. Does Jesus really have all of our heart? Ask yourself that question. Does Jesus really have all of my heart? How far are we willing to go for the sake of following after Jesus? Here in just a few moments, you're going to hear about a random family, a true story of a random family that gave up everything for the sake of following Christ. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about what is most precious to you. Just ask yourself, am I really following Jesus? And the last thing that I want to do is to provoke you into some 
low-grade sense of guilt for the things that you have. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with even having a lot of things. Or do I want to try to persuade you to do, make a decision in that same manner? But I do ask you, as Jesus says here, have you put your hand to this plow? Have you put your hand to the plow? In the year of 1859, a revival took place in Wales, England. As a result of this revival, many people were called to the mission field. Several of these people chose to go to North India even before it was its own country. Many people tried to sway these missionaries not to go because this area was known for its savage people. The tribes in this certain area consisted of men known as headhunters. These missionaries chose to go anyways despite the dangers that could happen because they believed that God was calling them to go. At first, the missionaries were not accepted, but after a few weeks, one family chose to put their faith in Christ. This family who had put their faith in Christ was so contagious that other families amongst these tribes began to put their faith in Jesus. After a few weeks, one of the tribe leaders had his people capture this family and put them out in the public square in front of everyone. The tribe leader told the man, if you and your family will not recant on your faith, you and your family will surely die. After being approached by this statement, the man said to the chief, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. With that, horrifically, the chief ordered that his two sons be killed. This man was then given another chance, now with his wife's life on the line. The tribe leader told him again, recant your faith or your wife will die. The man then answered him by saying, though none go with me, still I will follow. wife's tragic death, the man was given one final opportunity, this time to save himself. The tribe leader said to him, if you do not recant your faith, you will die. The man then looked up to the tribe leader and responded, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind 
Even though the man and his family tragically died on that day, something amazing happened. A seed was planted in the hearts of the people of that village, even the village chief. A few weeks later, the village chief called everyone in the tribe to the village square, and he renounced his former faith and announced his allegiance to Jesus Christ. After this very moment, the gospel began to grow and flourish in that village, moving from one family to another. Soon after, the gospel was taken to other tribes and the entire region. Because these people had seen real faith in the true character of God, because the family that believed and sacrificed even under the penalty of death. In the year of 1959, a man by the name of William Reynolds read this story of the Indian family. Reynolds then composed the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I have to follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with perseverance that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have we decided to follow Jesus? Are we throwing off weight? Are we throwing off sin that keeps us from Him? I want us to stand together and as we sing this song that I've decided to follow Jesus, that we're not looking to this world, we're not looking to anything else, but that our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Can we sing, I've decided, I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning no turning back. Come on, the cross before me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind 
turning back no turning back Heavenly Father as we come to you this morning God again I just tell you that we are thankful for you Lord when we read things like this in your word God very humbling very sobering just causes us to examine ourselves Lord, I pray that we do have undivided hearts, God, that our allegiance is set towards and upon your Son, Jesus Christ. God, not to things of this world, not to things, God, that bring us down. God, as we just saying, the world behind me, the cross before me, I pray, God, that we would choose to decide to follow you, nothing else, no one else. God, bless these people here today. Lord, I pray that we have been convicted by your word, Lord, that we've been changed by your word. God, that as we leave this room today, God, that we would just have the boldness to go share Christ with our loved ones, with our friends, with our co-workers. God, give us the boldness to do that. I pray you give us opportunities to help build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would just be a light in this dark world, God, that we would shine bright for you. God, that the gospel is what leads us. It's the gospel that encourages us. God, it's the gospel that fuels us. And Lord, I pray that lives are changed through all that. God, I pray that you are glorified, that you are lifted high, and in doing so, God, you draw all men into yourselves. Thank you, God, again for loving us. Thank you for this day that we get to come together to worship you, God. May we always consider it a privilege and an honor to get to do that with our brothers and sisters. God, I pray for those in here who are hurting. God, those here who may be even suffering, Lord. We know that some are sick. Some are dealing with loss. Some even financial issues, and that's a tough thing. God, some of us in here are struggling spiritually. Some of us may have doubts in our lives. And I just pray, God, that again, we would look towards you and not ourselves. God, that our focus is simply upon living for you. God, thank you again for all that you've done. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that makes us brand new, that we're through that we are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the grave. Thank you that we serve a risen Savior who is with us today. To God be the glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, if you'd come forward.